Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but he is strong. Hi, I'm Kevin Biltman, your host and recovering burnout pastor who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. Pastor Don Ray. As I said at the outset of our time today, today's message brings us near to the end of our First Corinthians series. We've been walking through the last few months. Paul begins chapter 16 here. Uh, with some brief instructions for the Corinthian members. He asked them specifically to set aside monies for an offering uh, that he intends to give on their behalf to Jerusalem Christians who are impoverished and struggling through a famine. It's a text, today's text is so short, just four verses as you heard Mike read, uh, that it's easy for us to fly over unless we first take some time to understand and appreciate the original context, and so we'll do that today. We're going to join today's text with 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which marries with 1 Corinthians 16. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 some months later, after 1 Corinthians 16. And the text ultimately reminds us of Jesus and his grace for us and our response to that grace at work in our lives. So that's our title today that reflects our title, Grace and Giving, Reality and Response. There's a relationship there. And I'll invite us to be patient. We'll take some time to unpack the historical context first, and then toward the end of the message, we'll make an effort to apply it specifically to our life as followers of Jesus today. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you and praise you for your word. It is living and active, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So Father, as you've drawn us together here to hear your word, to reflect on your scriptures, you know the needs of our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our desires, our joys, our temptations. Help us, Lord, to hear and to receive your word today as we have need. Bless us with the word of Jesus Christ and encourage us to live more actively, fully, and faithfully as your people. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to follow along on your sermon notes, if that's helpful for you, to jot ideas down as we go. Today they're on the very back of our uh, bulletin. You can clip those out after worship today and tuck them in your Bible. As you see, the flow of our study, kind of three parts, the Jews in Jerusalem, the Gentiles in Corinth, and Christ in us. So for those who like history and a little lesson in biblical history, you should enjoy our journey through the scripture today. The first thing that we'll see, and again, we can really only appreciate 1 Corinthians 16, as short as it is with some history first. So we see in Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 28-29, there was a prophet named Agabus, he spoke before God's people in the church in Jerusalem. He came down to Antioch, and he predicts there's going to be a great famine in Jerusalem. And Luke tells us, parenthetically, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke tells us that that did indeed come to pass in the days of Claudius, Luke says. So that would have been between 41 and 54 AD. That's when Claudius reigned. So there was some kind of severe famine in Jerusalem at that time, and many, many people suffered. Uh, and we know uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 55 A.D. 
So even though the famine could have ended perhaps as late as 54 AD, there was still some ongoing struggle and suffering. Then we see also in Galatians 2, one of Paul's letters, that Paul goes to Jerusalem, he meets with the leaders of the Jerusalem church there, or the quote-unquote pillars, leaders, fathers of the church as he calls them, pillars, uh, and they extend their fellowship to Paul. Paul's ministering to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Of course, in Jerusalem, there's a large number of Jews, and there's a chasm, a split between those, and Paul is trying to close that gap. Uh, and so that's in Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul writes there that the Christians in Jerusalem had asked him, quote, to remember the poor, right? So there's a context also, this famine, Jewish Christians were suffering greatly. So that's the reality of what's going on for the Jews in Jerusalem. And the response is that God's people in Jerusalem are asking Paul for help to bless those who are in need. Then there's the Gentiles in Corinth, if you follow along. We know uh, historically that there was very little Jewish presence, if any, in the city of Corinth. Um, and we've looked at the social context many times over the last few months in our series. Um, but there was a very distinct chasm between Jewish people and non-Jewish Gentiles. Corinth on the whole was a Gentile city, Jerusalem on the whole a Jewish city. Uh, and if you were one or the other, you considered the other a second-class citizen, right? There was a no meeting of the minds there. Uh, and historians typically consider Corinth as a wealthy place. That's something we've seen also. And so because the city was largely wealthy, we can assume, and we know from Paul's writing, that many of the Corinthian members were also financially wealthy. So that's the reality in Corinth. A lot of non-Jews, a lot of wealthy non-Jews. And what's Paul's response then? Well, we heard it. Mike read it for us, 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, Paul is telling the Corinthians to set aside some of their abundance to help the poor saints in Jerusalem to help those who are struggling with food or clothing or shelter during this famine. And Paul expands this then in 2 Corinthians 8. And we hear this. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4. Let me just read it briefly here for us. He says, we, this is talking to the Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's just verses one and two. Paul here is addressing the Corinthians who are wealthy people. They have said they were intending to give to the Jerusalem Jews in need, but they haven't fulfilled that commitment. And Paul is saying, look folks, there's a group of Christians in Macedonia who are materially poor. They have far less than you do and they're outstripping you in their giving. He's kind of prodding them along, saying, look, follow their example. You have far more. Now step up and truly do what you've intended to do. Give to people who are in need. He says, excel in this grace of giving, just as you excel in so many other areas of your life. And Paul reminds them also in 2 Corinthians, he said, you were the ones that wanted to do this. You were the ones that said, yes, let's support the Jerusalem poor, but now you are kind of falling down on the job by the time we get to 2 Corinthians 8. Paul even, as we looked in our Bible study this morning, Paul even quotes a passage from Exodus, 
the book of Exodus in chapter 16, where Moses instructs God's people there to not gather up more food than they need, one day at a time, right? You know the Lord's Prayer that we pray? Give us this day our daily bread, right? Take as much as you have need for today. Paul is quoting that passage from Exodus 16 because the Corinthians evidently were tempted to hoard their wealth. They had far more than they needed, but there were believers in Jerusalem that needed far more than what the Corinthians were willing to give. He's telling them, don't hoard your stuff. Don't store up more than you need. There's people who need your help. Do so. Help them. And it's not just a tangible social need, right? You see also the dynamic here. An example I used uh, in our Bible study this morning, and every analogy falls apart at some level, but uh, I just finished the Wenatchee Citizens Police Academy last week, so I still have law enforcement on my mind, and, and uh, one of the things that's uh, you know, impacted that community a lot, not only the George Floyd situation in Minnesota, but if you go back a number of years, even before in Southern California, to the Rodney King beating and riots, you recall that? Well, at that time, uh, in the inner city of Los Angeles, uh, the African-American community and the Korean community hated each other. There was a great chasm and a great divide. So the analogy I shared in Bible study this morning would be, imagine an African-American church in South Central Los Angeles gathering up an offering to help poor Koreans. This is what's happening with Paul, Jerusalem, and Corinth. They do not meet, they hate each other, but Paul is saying, Corinthians, let this offering, let this financial support that you're giving to the Jerusalem Jews show your true love in Christ, that the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, transcends racial and ethnic and societal boundaries. Step out and step beyond. So it's not just meeting the needs of people, it's demonstrating the gospel and the relationships we have in the gospel trump everything else, even those societal boundaries and chasms. And so when we think about this for our life today, Christ in us, Paul tells us, and Paul tells the Corinthians that Jesus Christ gave everything. He made himself poor so that they might become rich. And God enriches us in every way so that we can bless others in turn. Paul is exhorting us to do that. This is in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8. I just paraphrased it, but Paul says here, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul here is not talking about Jesus Christ dying so that we can all drive Bentleys. That's not what Paul is saying. This might be a popular verse among prosperity gospel preachers that say Jesus has come so that we can live fabulous lives of opulent wealth. No. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ, the Lord, gave up the limitless riches of heaven, came down on earth and became completely poor poured himself out to the point of death on a cross. You cannot give any more than that. That's what Jesus Christ has done. That's what he came to do. And Paul says he's come to do that so that you can live, we can live, a life that is rich in Christ. 
That may result in some of us having fabulous amounts of material wealth, but that's not the main purpose. He's come so that we can be rich in forgiveness, rich in love, rich in mercy, rich in compassion, rich in wisdom, rich in God's word, rich in eternal life. All of those blessings are far superior to anything in terms of material possessions. So the reality is that God in Christ has come and done that for us. He has lived and suffered and died and risen from the dead. And the response then also is that when we give generously by the grace of God to others in need, we are expressing God's grace and we are confirming our love for others. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, when you give to the Jerusalem poor, he's exhorting the Corinthians, he says, prove your love, right? Paul has said, you have said with your words that you love God's people, that you love those who are in need. That's what you've said. Now let your deeds match your words. Prove your love. Prove your love. Let your walk match your talk, he is saying. Here, giving generously is a perfect opportunity to show that you are a genuine Christian and that you truly care about others in need. And for us, when we give generously, it, it affirms at least two things. You know, and, and whatever the cause might be, if it's tithes and offerings to our church, if it's anonymously supporting one of our school families who might be going through a difficult financial season, if it's some other gospel ministry that you support in our community or international ministry in the world, whatever the need is, when we give generously, we are doing and showing at least two things. One, we are showing, demonstrating our trust in God to provide for us, right? That was one of the temptations of God's people with Moses. That's why Paul quotes Exodus 16. They were hoarding because they were afraid they might not have enough to make it through the next day. So they were storing up treasures for themselves, food in that case specifically, more than they needed out of fear of not having enough. And that temptation of scarcity or that temptation to fear, or gosh, if I give this to this person, I might not have enough for me and my family. We want to give wisely, of course, and generously. And when we do that, we're demonstrating that implicit trust. Lord, I'm releasing this. I'm sensing you're prompting me to give this $100 or $200 or $10,000 or $500,000 or whatever it might be to this cause or this ministry. And I have to confess, Lord, I'm a little bit anxious about that because if I give that, I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough. So when we give generously and freely, we're demonstrating implicitly, Lord, I am trusting you. I'm trusting that you've given me enough that I can release this to someone who has need and that you'll still provide for me. That's at least one of the things that we're doing. And then, as Paul was teaching the Corinthians, the second thing that we do when we give generously as Christians, we are tangibly demonstrating Christ's love to others. It's all made possible by him. He's the one who creates us. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who entrusts us with resources. And we're simply sharing a portion of his love for us in our love for others. Giving generously, whatever the cause may be, as we do it prayerfully, it's always about 
fundamentally, it's always about the reality of Jesus Christ and his self-sacrificing love for us, and then our response to that reality. Sometimes an appeal comes to us and it's for keeping the lights on or building a building or doing this or that in the ministry that we support or an appeal from St. Paul's of some specific kind. And, and those can be good things. We need buildings to accommodate and teach in and worship in and lights and salaries. These are important things, but fundamentally our giving is much bigger and deeper than that. It's about God's love for us and our love for others and our trust in him, whatever the cause may be. So we'll pause there, and I'll just let a question linger in the room and in your hearts and minds today. My friends in Christ, what tangible and generous response might God be calling you or your family to today? In what specific ways might we as God's people of St. Paul's live more generously? Let's remember the reality of the blessings God has given us, and then respond by his grace in abundant love. Amen.